It's Thursday, the 10th of August. In this episode of Going Viral, Professor Nigel Crawford gives us an Atagi update on boosters, waves, and protein-based vaccines. Professor Crawford, tell us about yourself. Thanks, David. Yeah, um, I'm Nigel Crawford. I'm based at the Children's Hospital in Melbourne. So I'm a paediatrician, uh, work in our immunisation service, as well as in vaccine safety with SafeVic, which is a Victorian vaccine safety service. And I'm a professor at the University of Melbourne Department of Paediatrics. The Going Viral podcast from HealthEd shares the latest on COVID-19, with leading voices from across Australia providing medical professionals with up-to-date information from reliable sources. Here's today's episode. Nigel, I understand that in this podcast, you will be expressing your personal views and not that of any organisation. That's correct. Thank you. Now, Nigel, we're going to look, first of all, at boosters. Um, There are still questions about whether or not people have been confused. Is the uptake going up or down? And what might likely help to attract people to boosters? Could it be better messaging? Could we be... Uh, could it be with the protein-based vaccines? What can we do? So, Dave, that's a really good question. I think the first thing to say is it's fantastic that we do have a number still of um, different platform COVID-19 vaccines. So, you know, it really was a major game changer in the pandemic to have those vaccines available. And now we're in a situation of trying to, you know, optimise their use and continue to protect the community in the setting of some vaccine fatigue, which you kind of allude to in your question. I think everyone's very tired as we come out, you know, the other side of, of the pandemic or the new phase of the pandemic and um, trying to maximise protection of the vaccines is important. So I think the key take-home message is the vaccines work very well against severe disease. That's hospitalisation, intensive care admissions and death. So the vaccines are really holding up well in terms of that protection. And therefore, the key people we want to protect are those who are highest risk of those complications and that's particularly the elderly so over 75 you know if you're looking after patients in a nursing home as example you really want to make sure you're maximizing protections uh, in those most vulnerable populations as well as those that are severely immunocompromised who we know didn't respond as well to the vaccines and uh, risk of severe disease so I think knowing who benefits most from the vaccines is where we should really be focusing our main efforts to try and get higher coverage We're no longer counting dose numbers. We used to kind of say you had third, fourth, fifth dose. We're not doing that anymore. We're just saying in 2023, you should have a booster and it should be given if it's six months post your last dose or if it's six months post your um, last infection, if you fit within those groups that are either recommended or you can consider uh, as per the um, advice. So I think really thinking about that is is important. Maybe one final comment, which a bit of confusion is coming is the infection component. We were really good at getting those rapid antigen tests, rat tests or PTR tests. Every time we got an infection, not everyone's doing that anymore. People aren't sure if they've had COVID or not. If you're not sure if you've had COVID, it's fine to get the vaccine at that six months. The main reason for not giving it straight after a vaccine is we know you've already had a boost if you've had definite confirmed infection. So you don't need a vaccine, for example, four weeks later. But if it's getting down to five, six months, uncertain, or if you are, again, more for the, the GPs on the podcast going into a nursing home and you want to catch people up there are provisos to just give everyone the dose while you're there rather than having to you know monitor that absolutely to the to the last um week in terms of that most recent infection if that makes sense it does but it does raise about two or three questions in my mind 
The first one is that you're still mentioning the six-month boosters. The question will be, you know, we've been told at some stage it might come down to yearly. Why has it become yearly? When will it become yearly? That's the first. Uh, the second question would be, it's easy to understand those at high risk needing the shots, but what about the younger people? Where do we stand with them and how hard do we encourage them or just leave them alone? So with regards to the the timing, I think in everyone's mind, it'd be much easier if we got to a more regular program like we have for influenza. So I think seasonal influenza, we know the vaccine becomes available late February, March. We know our clients, you know, or patients, uh, particularly the medical people on the call, and we go out and vaccinate them. And ideally, if you could align a COVID vaccine with flu, that would, you know, make programmatic sense in terms of use. Now, that has happened to a degree this year because we know the winter is a peak burden on both our primary care as well as hospitals. So we want to kind of protect as many people as we can while these viruses are circulating. The difficulty with SARS-CoV-2 is it's not playing the game so much in terms of that seasonality. Flu, we're pretty confident now as we come out of the pandemic, we're going back into that kind of routine season. There's variation of when the peaks are, but we know it's going to be, you know, throughout those winter months and RSV, the other respiratory virus, particularly in pediatrics and, and elderly, also seems to be coming back to that seasonal pattern as we've stopped the COVID restrictions. COVID-19 disease is still peaking in some places in the summer and different seasonality, depending where you are around the world. And the vaccine, if we're losing protection from that severe disease around the six-month mark, we just got to make sure we've got a program that's got a bit of flexibility until if the virus does go into a more clear pattern, then it may be just a single booster, you know, be required for the, the majority outside of other, you know, things that might emerge. But I think just because we've been very responsive through our COVID with our vaccine messaging. We don't want to lose that straight away, but I do agree with you. The messaging, nuance of that messaging can become tricky at an individual level in particular. The second question was, it's easy to understand the elderly, those in residential aged care facilities and what we ought to recommend and do. What about the younger people, you know, say under 65 and healthy or even younger, older, younger than 50? Uh, where do we stand? How hard do we push or encourage uh, getting the next booster or do we just leave them? Yes, I think it is that, you know, risk stratification. It's If it's they're 18 and over and have a severe immunocompromised condition, they are still a group to, to target. So we do know they need to have that booster dose in part because of risk of severe disease plus they don't respond as well to the vaccine. You might recall that it was a three-dose primary schedule for those that are immunocompromised came out of the transplant patient studies. So there are a group that's sort of listed that you know they don't respond as well and, and do need those additional doses and obviously can be hospitalised both from severe COVID but also complications, you know, with their underlying conditions. So I think they're a group that definitely need to be targeted as well as those that might have conditions related to severe disease. But age is still really the primary driver here. And because of the severe disease, the vaccines, again, have not unexpectedly in, in reality, haven't been as effective at stopping transmission mm -hmm. um, in terms of that community in the workplace or elsewhere. We're hopeful, obviously, early on that we might be able to stop transmission uh, in a workplace, as an example, by vaccinating everybody, but that seems to wear off even more quickly. So the vaccines are really not being utilised for that purpose. It's more that severe disease. And the majority of us from the Ciro surveys, where they've done blood samples of different populations, showing the majority of us have been exposed to the virus, even if we haven't had a confirmed infection. So I think lots of us already have protection now where we didn't have that when we're right in the middle of those lockdowns in, in 2021, even into 2022. So since Omicron 
has come. We know we've all got majority have some protection. Therefore, yeah, I do think the priority is 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 the particularly the the elderly. Yeah. Nigel, you keep mentioning uh, the vaccines uh, as if they were one sort of vaccine. Does it matter that we have a protein recombinant adjuvant vaccine? If it, it does, it make any difference in the way we message it to our patients? So you're right again. So we tend to put all the COVID nineteen vaccines together, but they are being made, you know, differently through the different platforms. So there's the mRNA um, vaccine platform and the um, protein-based vaccine. There is a preference in the Australian advice around the mRNA vaccines, predominantly because they are the bivalent vaccines. They do include Omicron plus the ancestral strain, and that's obviously trying to maximise protection with the vaccine strains um, that have been circulating all you know subvariants of Omicron. So there is a preference for the um, those vaccines at the booster. Having said that, it's fantastic. We do have an alternate platform, which is a protein-based, something we're more familiar with in terms of um, the vaccines for other, you know, candidates and uh, is effective, particularly if that someone hasn't had a primary course example and still do or want some vaccines on top of having had an infection, they can also have um, the protein base for that course. So either vaccine can be used if there's a, a preference, but um, the mRNA are, are currently the preference because of that bivalent um, nature. Nigel, where do we stand with regards waves uh i mean we've just seen that eris is now coming in i mean we're having wave upon wave uh, are they still happening as waves or what is actually happening in the world today with regard to sars-cov-2 yeah so i think sars-cov-2 you know we're all thinking there's gonna be a new variant and even eris just been mentioned in the media the last week or so they're still all in the omicron kind of family or tree so i think everyone remember delta came along that was definitely more severe in terms of severity of hospitalization, example, Omicron has been much more transmissible, but not a higher level of severity. And these subvariants seem to be similar from what we're hearing out of the UK in particular is already communicating that. So there's definitely a little bit of a surge again happening in the Northern Hemisphere. Obviously, the seasonality of the weather and things have been a bit different. You know, very uh, hot, dry summer in, in, in Europe, as an example. So I think some of those components may impact on the circulation. Um, but at this stage, it's still all within the Omicron subvariants, um, but similar to, to us, they have come out with booster recommendations in the Northern Hemisphere, trying to minimize as they move into their winter, those that are most vulnerable being protected. Um, so I think, yeah, very similar situation, but essentially we are still seeing Omicron variants um, circulating around the world. You mentioned earlier about the testing, uh, if you think you are sick, where do you see the role of uh, rapid antigen tests these days? How reliable are they? Should we depend on them? What do we do if we're, we're feeling sick? Yeah, I think they've been a helpful screening test. It does a little bit depend on your you know, workplace and, and where you are. So certainly from the healthcare setting, we still have to be thinking of our vulnerable patients and transmission. So you know, making sure you are had your flu vaccine and had your boosters as per your age and recommendations. They're not specific for healthcare workers, but we should be following those recommendations. Rats have been very sensitive and my understanding is they're still sensitive to these Omicron variants. You wonder if there's major changes in the virus where they're still effective, but I believe they're, they're still working. The key thing is checking the expiry date. I think lots of us might have some, uh, even in your cupboard in your clinic or at your home, and a few of them are, are getting close to that expiry. So you do really have to make sure you're checking to, to see that they are um, in date. I think it's really mainly hospitals now that are, that are tending to do the more specific uh, PCR and genomic testing, because that surveillance of which Omicron strains or new variants of concern might be circulating is still important, but that's, I believe, predominantly now at a, at a hospital level. 
Nigel, I'm going to ask you now to look back at what we've covered and see if there are particular messages you want to give to our GP listeners. Yeah, so I think the particular message is to say that primary care have been a major support for the whole pandemic in terms of management of, of COVID-19, as well as driving the, the vaccination program. So I think still having it in the fridge and having the discussion around those boosters is really important. Never quite know when there might be a change or other things that, that need to be modified. So I think we need to be up to date with the routine components. Um, and while I haven't mentioned it, I would say we need to reinforce the routine vaccines. There is some concerns that the routine immunizations because of this vaccine fatigue, we are seeing a little bit of a drop, particularly globally around some of those infant schedules. So in those visits where you're seeing the family, you might mention the vaccine for the grandparents, but also mention the infant vaccines. But yeah, I think really targeting those high risk patients, particularly severely immunocompromised, as well as the uh, older clients uh, in your rooms is, is really the key in terms of maximizing that protection from COVID. You can co-administer flu vaccine at the same time now and you know other components. So I think trying to think of COVID as one of the vaccines you need to talk about is, is probably the best way forward. Nigel, it's been really good talking to you. Thank you very much for your time. No problems. Thank you. Have a good day. No worries. Thanks, David. Bye, Nigel. Bye. Bye. Just a quick reminder as we wrap up to encourage you to register for the next webcast, where you can always catch a high-quality lineup of speakers and topics that HealthEd has put together for you. HealthEd webcasts are carefully created to provide high-quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free, you get CPD points, and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthad.com.au. You can claim RACGP CPD points for listening to this podcast using the self-claim option. Log into your account on the RACGP website Go to the CPD section and click on self-claim.